Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome to Haunted Road, a production of iHeartRadio and Grim and Mild from Aaron Mankey. Listener discretion is advised. St. Louis, February 14th, 1904. This is taken from the Southern Standard. William J. Lemp, president of the Lemp Brewing Company, shot himself through the temple with a revolver at his home, 3322 Lemp Avenue, at 9.30 o'clock Saturday forenoon, while in a fit of grief over the recent death of his son, Edward. He died an hour later without having been conscious after the shot was fired. The first known of the act at the brewery office was at a little after 9.30, when a messenger ran into the office and told the son of the brewer to hurry to the residence a few doors away. It was an hour later when word was received at the office that Mr. Lemp had shot himself and was dead. From what can be learned, Mr. Lemp arose at his wanted hour Saturday morning, ate a light breakfast, and upon complaining that he did not feel well, returned to his room. He must have spent some time there, writing and making known his last earthly wishes. An hour later, a shot was heard. Members of the household ran to the room only to find the millionaire brewer in the last throes of death. He was partially disrobed and lay upon the bed with his revolver smoking on the bloodstained covers. The man's muscles twitched. He breathed heavily. A gaping wound in his temple told the story. Messengers were dispatched for physicians, and Dr. Harmish was the first to arrive. He is beyond all medical or surgical aid, the doctor stated. At 10 o'clock, he passed away. I'm Amy Bruni, and this is Haunted Road. If you were to visit 3322 Domenal Place today, you'd see a historic inn built more than 150 years ago, filled with happy diners and overnight guests. Well, that might not be all you see. Lemp Mansion is one of St. Louis's grandest homes, which house generations of one of the city's most prominent and troubled families. Among tragic accounts of untreated mental illness and untimely deaths are stories of underground passages, false claims to the family fortune, rumors of a generational curse, and even a child hidden away in the attic. The legends linger in the Lemp Mansion restaurant and inn today. After the mystery dinners and parties are over, guests report strange happenings. Phantom footsteps and knocking sounds ring through the hallways, shadows peek around corners, small objects move on their own, and a piano mysteriously plays by itself when no one is nearby. But in the beginning, there was just one family and one very big American dream. On the banks of the Mississippi River, St. Louis, Missouri is a city of about 300,000 people. It grew rapidly in the early 19th century with the advent of the steamboat and quickly became a major destination for Irish and German immigrants. One of those immigrants, Johann Adam Lemp, who emigrated from central Germany, arrived in the United States about 1836. On his arrival in St. Louis in 1838, Lemp opened a grocery store where he sold his homemade beer. 
People loved Adam Lemp's German-style lager beer, which was much lighter than the strong English ales widely available in America at the time. In a short two years, Lemp started a beer company using German recipes in 1840. The first location of the Lemp Brewery was located where the south leg of the city's iconic Gateway Arch now stands. St. Louis Magazine called Adam Lemp one of the most influential figures in St. Louis history for his runaway success as a brewer. Lemp Brewery became so popular so quickly that in just five years, it moved to a larger facility with limestone caves underneath where beer could be kept cold and an above-ground beer garden called Lemp's Cave where people would sit and sip. The elder Lemp died in 1862 and his son William took over the company. That same year, William Lemp and his wife Julia had a son who died at birth. In the following years, they would have eight more children, Anna, William Jr., Louis, Charles, Frederick, Hilda, Edwin, and Elsa. What's known today as the Lemp Mansion was actually built by William Sr.'s father-in-law, Jacob Feichert, in 1868. It's just down the street from the brewery. As Kathy Weiser Alexander wrote for Legends of America, by the 1870s, the Lemp family symbolized both wealth and power, as the Lemp Brewery controlled the St. Louis beer market, a position it maintained until Prohibition. The family bought the Lemp Mansion in 1876 and began renovating and expanding the 33-room house. The Victorian home was built in the Italianate style and stands three stories tall with a basement and an attic. The front of the home is white with black trim and looks relatively plain from the outside, but inside there are endless architectural curiosities, like an atrium where the lamps kept exotic plants and birds, and a hand-painted ceiling in the parlor which has green and yellow floral designs and depictions of clouds. On the third floor, in addition to the servants' quarters, there are cedar walk-in closets, a skylight, and an observation deck. As the mansion's history describes, the main bathroom is dominated by a unique glass-enclosed freestanding shower that Lemp discovered in an Italian hotel and brought back to St. Louis for his personal use. Other unusual fixtures in the room are a barber chair and a sink with glass legs. At the rear of the house are three massive vaults that the Lemps built to store art. The Lemps also built a tunnel that connected the home's basement to the caves below the brewery, or at least the tunnel probably existed. Chris Nafziger of St. Louis Magazine has reviewed old records and believes that the tunnel link between the mansion and the brewery caves is a myth, but staff at the Lemp Mansion say there absolutely was a tunnel, which many believe is concealed by a bricked-over portion of wall in the basement of the home. It's said that members of the Lemp family would walk to work through the tunnel. Lemp Brewery introduced artificial refrigeration in 1878, at which point parts of the cave were converted as entertainment spaces like a natural auditorium and a theater. As Kathy Weiser Alexander wrote, this underground oasis would later spawn a large concrete swimming pool with hot water piped in from the brewery boiling house and a bowling alley. The caves are still used for entertainment purposes today. They're now home to the subterranean Lemp Brewery haunted house. By the 1890s, Lemp Brewery was selling their beer all across America, something a regional brewery had never achieved before. As Troy Taylor wrote in Haunted Missouri, Lemp was the first brewery to establish coast-to-coast -coast distribution of its beer, shipping it out in refrigerated railroad cars. After expanding across America, Lemp also spread to overseas markets and by the late 1890s, the beer could be found in Canada, Mexico, Britain, Germany, Central and South America, the West Indies, the Hawaiian Islands, Australia, Japan, and beyond. 
1897, William's daughter Hilda married Gustav Pabst. You may recognize that last name. In 1899, William Jr., known as Billy, married Lillian Hanlon, whom the St. Louis Post-Dispatch described as a railroad supply heiress known as the Lavender Lady because she favored that color for everything, even the harnesses on her horses. But the happy times didn't last. In 1901, William's 28-year-old son, Frederick, who had been the superintendent of the brewery, died of heart failure. Three years later, on the morning of February 13, 1904, William Lemp died of a self-inflicted gunshot wound to the head in his bedroom at Lemp Mansion. He was 68 years old. It's said that he was never the same after Frederick's death. He was also greatly affected by the death of his friend and fellow brewery king, Frederick Pabst, who died in January of that year. William's son had been named after Pabst. The day after William's death, a front-page article on the St. Louis Post-Dispatch referred to him as one of the best-known brewers in America. The Lemp Brewing plants were shut down on the day of his funeral, with longtime employees serving as pallbearers. Among the honorary pallbearers was Adolphus Busch, the co-founder of Anheuser-Busch. His son took over the brewery, but he and Lillian were more interested in enjoying their vast fortune than in running the family business. They spent extravagantly, staffing the house with servants and buying opulent art and clothing. William Jr. also threw decadent parties in the limestone caves beneath the brewery, including hiring sex workers for his friends. According to persistent, although entirely unsubstantiated rumors, William Jr. eventually fathered a child, a boy born with Down syndrome or some type of physical deformity, either with one of those sex workers or with a servant at the mansion. The child was supposedly hidden in the attic, where he lived out his days, though there is no documentation to prove this. William Jr. and Lillian divorced in 1909 in a scandal-filled trial that made headlines. The court heard that William Jr. had beaten Lillian, thrown her down the stairs, shot neighborhood cats for sport, had been seen with other women, and visited houses of bad repute, all of which he denied. Lillian also testified that she had to restrain William Jr. from shooting a black butler after the former believed the latter was acting, as recounted in the St. Louis Globe Democrat, insolent and surly. William Jr. claimed that he pulled the gun in self-defense because the butler was near a table with knives on it. William Jr. had hired a private detective to follow Lillian after reading a letter that she claimed she had left as a trap to see if he went through her mail and was allegedly coerced into signing a document saying that the baptism and moral, religious, and collegiate teaching, direction, and instruction of all children born of our marriage shall be left absolutely and entirely at all times to the dictation, direction, and control of William J. Lemp Jr. William Jr. alleged that, against his wishes, Lillian was attempting to raise their eight-year-old son, William III, as a Catholic. Lillian claimed that she had been tricked, saying, according to the St. Louis Joseph Press News, that when she signed it, the paper was so folded as to conceal the contents and that she supposed that she was signing another paper that she had been read to her. For his part, William Jr. was embarrassed by his wife's eccentric clothing preferences. During the trial, he told the court that he did not like his wife's almost constant wearing of the color purple, saying, I didn't want her to be conspicuous by wearing the same thing all the time. In fact, one of the only times she was ever seen not wearing purple was on the final day of the hearing when she arrived to court wearing all black. With the divorce finalized, William Jr. remodeled the home in 1911, converting part of the space into brewery offices. 
According to Kathy Weiser-Alexander, at this time, William allowed the company's equipment to deteriorate without keeping abreast of industry innovations. By World War I, the brewery was just barely limping along. In 1919, William Jr. shut down the company after the passage of the 19th Amendment, making prohibition the law of the land. However, he didn't tell his workers about the closure. They simply arrived to work one day to find the gates locked. More sadness followed, and quickly. On the morning of March 20th, 1920, Elsa, the youngest of the Lemp siblings, died of a self-inflicted gunshot wound to the heart. She was 37, and at the time was St. Louis's richest woman. Elsa had maladies including indigestion, nausea, and depression, but some speculate that her death was suspicious. She had recently remarried her former husband, Thomas Wright, who she'd divorced the previous year. Her new-again husband allegedly waited almost half an hour to call for a doctor, and several of the servants changed their stories about the morning's events after the fact. In June 1922, the Lemp Brewery was sold piecemeal at auction for $588,500, which is $9.85 million by today's standards, well below its original valuation of $7 million, which is $123.4 million today. Six months later, despondent over the state of the family business, William Jr. took his own life in his office at the Lemp Mansion on December 29, 1922. He was 55 years old. A contemporary newspaper report noted that Billy Lemp especially has lived in a retired manner since Prohibition went into effect and the brewery closed down its manufacture of beer. In 1943, William Lemp III, William Jr. and Lillian's only child, died of a cerebral hemorrhage at age 42 after collapsing on the sidewalk in nearby Clayton, Missouri. At some point in the 1940s, it's alleged that William Jr.'s illegitimate child died in his 30s. According to Legends of America, he was buried on the Lemp Cemetery plot with only a small flat marker with the word Lemp. On the morning of May 10, 1949, another Lemp sibling, Charles, was found dead of suicide. He was 77 years old and was living alone in the Lemp mansion. Charles shot himself with a 38 caliber revolver in the same room where his brother died. In his later years, Charles had become increasingly eccentric. After his suicide, it was noted in a contemporary report that he had suffered from nervousness in recent weeks. He was the only lemp to leave a note, which read, In case I am found dead, blame it on no one but me. As Colin Dickey wrote in his book Ghostland, tradition holds that Charles shot his dog before himself, though this is nowhere mentioned in the police reports of the incident. It's said that the body of his Doberman pincher, Serva, was found halfway up the basement stairs. The Lemp family saw an unusually high amount of suicides, but they were also happening in other German immigrant brewing families. On February 13, 1934, Anheuser-Busch President August Busch committed suicide by revolver 30 years to the day after William Sr.'s suicide. And Otto F. Stiefel of the old Stiefel Union Brewery also ended his own life. Police eventually started calling the act of suicide the Dutch Act, a corruption of the word Deutsch, or German. After the last Lemp to live in the mansion died in 1950, the home became a boarding house. It was also used to house children from a nearby pediatric hospital, Marion Hospital. In the early 1960s, the house was slated for demolition to make room for the Ozark Expressway. Public outcry and advocacy surrounding a nearby property, the Chatelain de Menil Mansion, ended up saving the Lemp Mansion when the highway was rerouted to preserve it. However, much of the Lemp Mansion's grounds as well as the carriage house were leveled. 
Edwin, the last remaining Lemp sibling, died in 1970 at the age of 90. As Kathy Weiser Alexander wrote, according to Edwin's last wishes, his butler burned all of his paintings that the Lemps had collected throughout his life, as well as priceless Lemp family documents and artifacts. These irreplaceable pieces of history vanished in the smoke of a blazing bonfire. In 1975, the mansion was bought by Dick Pointer, who converted it into a restaurant. It still operates as an inn and restaurant today. In 2010, a man named Andrew Paulson appeared in St. Louis and claimed to be a limp descendant. He was in position of a key to the family mausoleum in Bellefontaine Cemetery, as well as various other heirlooms. Paulson was eventually revealed to be an imposter looking to make money off the limp name. He wasn't the first to do so. In 1901, a man claiming to be Billy Lemp bought a large diamond brooch from a St. Louis jewelry store, telling them to build a Lemp brewery. He pawned the brooch and was never seen again. Many are convinced that some sort of curse caused so many of the Lemps to take their own lives, especially since all the suicides took place by firearm and in the morning hours. But as Colin Dickey points out in Ghostland, it's more likely that the curse was a family history of untreated mental illness. With all the dark history surrounding the family and the home, it's no surprise that the Lemp Mansion is often called one of the most haunted homes in America. Betsy Burnett Belanger, the Lemp Mansion's historian and paranormal investigator, believes that there are nine spirits in the house. In addition to the Lemps, Burnett Belanger has also come into contact with the spirit of a servant who still cares for the spirit of a 16-year-old named Zeke and a child named Elizabeth. She's also identified a spirit she calls the Stinky Man, who told her to get out of the house. She believes that Charles Lemp may have been affected by the presence of some of these ghosts. The building got its haunted reputation soon after its conversion into a rooming house, with tenants reporting phantom footsteps and knocking sounds. Allegedly, people wouldn't stay long because of the hauntings. During the 1970s renovations to transform the mansion into a restaurant and inn, according to Legends of America, Workers within the house often told stories of apparitions, strange sounds, vanishing tools, and a feeling of being watched. Frightened by the hauntings, many would leave the job site, never to return. One worker heard the sound of horses' hooves on cobblestones out the window, on a portion of lawn later discovered to have covered the area that was the cobblestone driveway of the mansion. While the ceiling frescoes were being restored, a worker named Claude Breckwald told the St. Louis Post-Dispatch that he was on the job late one night when he had this sensation that someone was staring at me. I just knew that someone was staring at me through the glass beveled doors. There was no doubt. I got chills up and down my back. My hair stood on end. Until then, I never believed in ghosts. From then on, Breckwald would only work during the daytime with others nearby and turn down working on additional rooms. Today, the staff in the restaurant, according to Culture Trip, have heard the piano playing itself and doors locking and unlocking themselves. They also report cold spots and apparitions throughout the building. In the hallways, people say they've seen a young child, as well as the figure of an older man who is sometimes said to be Charles Lemp in his hat, cape, and shiny shoes. Some have also reported hearing gunshots in the hallways. Where the dining room stands today is the site of the office where William Jr. and Charles took their own lives. In that room, people have seen an apparition of a man sitting down to dinner only to vanish when approached. Glasses are said to levitate on their own. Some claim to have seen the apparition of Lillian, the lavender lady, in the room. The guest rooms are named after family members and each has its own unique activity. In the Charles Lemp suite, small objects sometimes move around on their own and Charles has been spotted in his top hat in the space. 
In the Elsa Lemp suite, which is her childhood bedroom, people report mischievous behavior attributed to kids who stayed in the mansion when it was used as overflow for the local pediatric hospital. Guests experience something pulling at the sheets while they are trying to sleep or tugging at their legs. In the William Lemp suite, people say they hear footsteps running up the stairs and someone kicking the door. As Kathy Weiser Alexander wrote, when William killed himself, William Jr. was known to have run up the stairs to his father's room and finding it locked, began to kick the door to get to his father. Other guests have reported hearing moaning in this room. The womanizing William Jr. is also rumored to haunt the women's bathroom on the first floor. Women say something peeks over the tops of the stalls and turns on the water when no one else is in the bathroom. In the basement, in the tunnel area, which staff members allegedly call the gates of hell, people report seeing a shadow figure and sometimes hearing phantom dog barking. The darkest stories, though, come from the attic. Some believe that William Jr.'s illegitimate son haunts the attic where he spent his life. A few sources claim his name is Zeke. People frequently report seeing the face of a boy in the attic windows, but some believe he was a ward of the state who died there when the house was used as patient housing. In Missouri's Haunted Route 66, Jane Tremere wrote, Another legend concerning the boy is that he was William's brother, born when William's mother, Julie, was close to 50, and that the child was deformed because of her advanced age. Some sources say Zeke died at 16, others say he was age 30. Paranormal investigators report that toys left in the attic will be moved when they return, and the voice of a child saying, Help me, help me, has been reported here. Betty Burnett Belanger says this spirit is very scared, afraid of people, and believes that he's looking for his mother. To talk more about the hauntings at Lemp Mansion, I have a special treat for you. My dear friend Jeff Belanger will be joining us. Both of us have investigated the Lemp Mansion, and we can't wait for you to listen in on our conversation about what we and others have experienced there. That's coming up after the break. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. All right, so I am now joined by one of my dearest friends, Mr. Jeff Belanger, who is, I mean, I don't know, you are, you wear many hats. You're a paranormal researcher, author, now podcast host. Like, I, I don't even know what to call you anymore, Jeff. What, what, what should we call you? <laughs> Just don't call me late for dinner or happy hour. This is true. That's why I brought you here is because I know that you are very familiar with Lemp Mansion. You've been there. I've been there. You're also very familiar with beer. So it also seemed fitting. Wow. That's, <laughs> yeah, both are true, I guess. Yep. Can't argue either one of those. But before we get started, you know, anytime I have a guest on who's someone that like I've known for a long time, there's always this kind of little trip down memory lane. Right. And I think that what listeners might not know is I would say, if you were to like turn back time and say, who was the most influential person in Amy Bruni's paranormal career, I say with air quotes, 
Who would that be? And I think that person would be Jeff Belanger. Get out of here. I mean it because I think many people think that I just kind of appeared on Ghost Hunters and that's when I first existed. But (laughs) well before that, I was in the paranormal scene and uh, I just remember you and I connected at a conference and then you came out to a little conference I was holding with my paranormal group and you were just always really great to bounce ideas off of. And I remember particularly I was doing this kind of paranormal group dynamics lecture, which was like my first lecture. And you were always super helpful with stuff like that. So, well, that's nice memory. Yeah. I remember we were in Volcano, California, a town slightly larger than my living room. (laughs) And I don't live in a mansion just to be clear. Uh, And uh, at one point we were out in the, um, the cemetery, which is a tiny little spot of land. It was close to midnight and this drunk guy walks out holding a gun and says, what do you guys want to become a ghost tonight? And so when people say like, have you ever been scared during an investigation? That's one of the ones I point to. (laughs) I completely forgot about the shotgun wielding man. Drunk man. (laughs) So a volcano is so small that like literally if someone is born or dies, they just like they just cross off the the population. It's in chalk. They don't even paint it. Right. I don't think I've been back there since. I think that I think he might have worked. He won. He, <laughs> he uh, won. Game he set won match. That. But yeah, I was like, yeah, that's because that's one of those stories I point to. Like, yep, I was genuinely scared. But I do recommend your books on the regular too. Well, thank you. So Lemp Mansion. I investigated the Lemp Mansion many, many years ago. I actually rewatched the episode of Ghost Hunters that we filmed there just, you know, to get kind of nostalgic before I (laughs) I recorded this podcast. I'm not sure if it was the best idea, but I do remember the place very well. Now, in your recollection, and and I know you've done a lot of interviews, I know you've been there. What do you think people probably experience the most at the Lemp Mansion? Well, you know, you've already established this family was just plagued by suicide, which is it, it runs in families. It really does. And so when you understand, when you know what happened, I mean, today, if you're in the restaurant uh, dining area or if you're by the bar, you're in the former Lemp offices and two people shot themselves right there. One guy shot his dog and then himself, right? Charles and, and Billy. And I, I sort of feel like you tune into that sadness when you're inside there. You, I'm the kind of person that researches everything before I go. I mean, I want to know where everything happened, what rooms and so on. So when I walked in there, I was just, you know, you look around the bar area and you're like, oh, this is where someone chose to end his own life. And that's different than a murder or a natural cause death. You know what I mean? Like someone was in a really dark, bad place and ended it right here. And I remember speaking with one of the tour guides at the house who said uh, there was one night she was camped out in a cot down in that area because I guess the rooms were full and she was sleeping there and she woke up to find a man pacing around her cot. And he bent down over her head and he started to like make some moaning sound. And she said to him, you know, you're, you're frightening me. And the man disappeared. And, and that's when she said she realized she believed these spirits were interactive. People have been pushed and touched. Uh, I spoke to one employee who said he saw what looked like, you know, heat waves coming off a hot road in one of the stairwells and there's stories in the bedrooms and so on. But I think the most prominent spirits would be Billy and Charles Lemp. And then also there's a a lady in white that some people believe is Julia Lemp, who was uh, also died there. I believe she died of cancer, though. Right. It is a place that's filled with a lot of sadness. And it's strange because, you know, they were just kind of such this influential family. And then just it just kind of descended into darkness. And 
literally like the last one died and it was just completely snuffed out. It's a very sad story. Regardless of any hauntings you might encounter, the energy there is definitely heavy. Sometimes I think it's really kind of interesting how some of these places that we investigate or frequent so often become places like bars and restaurants and inns. And then you walk in and there's these people and they're just like laughing and, you know, getting married and having the best times of their lives. And as investigators and researchers, like we look around and we think, oh, my gosh, like I know what happened here. And and I don't know that everyone who goes there knows exactly what happened there. No, I'm sure they don't. They just sort of look right past it. And and, uh, forgive me if I'm wrong, but I believe alcohol is a depressant. (laughs) So so there's that. And I mean, when you say this family was an empire, all empires fall, they just do. But I mean, if you've heard of beer, (laughs) so they they were the first to make Falstaff beer, which you may have heard of a little obscure. And they sold that label to someone else who continues to make it to this day. But Lemp's best friend was Adolphus Bush, of course, Budweiser, right? And William Lemp's daughter, Hilda, married into the Pabst family, Paps Blue Ribbon, Paps Budweiser, Falstaff. I mean, these are the biggest names in beer and they all have a connection to this mansion, to this empire that, uh, that, you know, rose and then eventually fell. Well, they also have suicides in their families as well. We went into it in the first half already, but they also kind of had, not to the extent that the Lemps did, but it was just strange that like kind of around the same time, these deaths occurred in these big beer families. So I know when I kind of looking back to my experience there, like I was there with ghost hunters, I believe we were there for two nights and investigated. And so I was investigating with Chris Williams. If anyone knows Chris Williams, she is like the biggest skeptic you will ever meet. Like I remember us having experiences and she would say she saw a shadow and then she would second guess herself 20 minutes later and be like, maybe I saw a shadow. I'm not sure what I saw, (laughs) you know, but at Lent Mansion, we did have this kind of crazy experience where we were in the basement looking at these uh, this set of stairs and there's this little kind of emergency light that sits at the the foot of the stairs so you don't fall down them and both of us saw some like feet cross in front of that light on two or three occasions we're just staring at it it looked like someone was walking up those stairs and so then when we kind of went closer to investigate you know we were trying to kind of recreate it we heard upstairs someone walking around and stomping around upstairs. And, you know, we were convinced like maybe someone was up there we weren't aware of, our crew or something like that. We account for everyone, but no one was there. It was almost like something was leading us up the stairs. And I think people experience stuff like that on a regular basis there. No, I remember talking to uh, someone who had worked in the building for 10 years. And he was telling me there was one night he was uh, locked out of one section of the building and he was walking up the stairways and he saw a, a shadow suddenly coming toward him quite quickly. All he remembers was that it was very dark and it was like the silhouette of a man with a top hat. And he, he said, mm-hmm. he said, I, I swung my fist at it. I, I thought it was getting jumped or something. My, my fist went right through it. I literally fell over from the inertia of the thing. And then no one's there. And, and then, of course, he's reminded that he's in a very haunted building. And this is, you know, he's heard things and heard other employees talk about their experiences and that happened to him. I mean, he took a swing at a ghost. Uh, it's not something you forget. Obviously, it's a very real experience. If your visceral reaction is to like try to hit it, you're clearly seeing something in that moment. <laughs> right. Yeah, right. Exactly. And, and to me, places like Lent Mansion, you said before how people could be having parties and weddings and in all kinds of things and not even know the history. But 
you probably know it's haunted. I mean, this is one of the most prominent haunts in, in the United States. I mean, it comes up on lists again and again. But if you ask the question, well, why is this place haunted? Well, now you got to go back and learn why and then mm. connect connect to that history and those suicides and the tragedy, tragedies that we know, you know, have happened before and will happen again. Wealthy families, you know, that that get rich and prosperous and then lose everything. And rather than be poor, they, they'll take their own lives. It's, it's a tragic story that sadly has played out many times even since. Now, what do you think of the rumors concerning the attic? Now, supposedly there is the spirit Zeke, yes. So what do you think of Zeke? Do you think wh- do you think he actually haunts the attic? Do you think Zeke existed? What what are your opinions on that? So yeah, William and Lillian, right? So allegedly had a child mm-hmm. named Zeke who was physically deformed and and had other problems and they sort of kept him locked away, which um sounds today, you know, sort of ludicrous, but there was a time where that was normal. Before the days of institutions, uh, having someone in your family like that was seen as a huge embarrassment, which is tragic, right? I mean, these are human mm-hmm. beings, but that was a different time. You you would literally lock folks in basements and in rooms and in attics and so on, rather than have people know that you know this is a family member. So it's not impossible, but I found no documentation either, and I looked and looked. Um, but the story sticks around, and you know sometimes, as you know, when there's smoke, there's fire with this stuff. So it's not impossible, but I can't say it absolutely happened either. But then, you know, who knows? Does Zeke become almost like this thought form, this idea that, well, yeah, they, this family probably had all kinds of secrets and that secret manifests itself as something haunting the attic. And then those who may not know better or know for sure, call it Zeke. And it might not be. It might be something else. It could be, you know, something weirder than than we can even guess mm-hmm. but we attach it to that story and i sort of like that it sticks around because there was a time where that happened and we can't let that happen again to human beings no we definitely cannot it is interesting to me because there's different reports as far as whether zeke passed away at 16 or at 30 and but you do have activity that kind of lends itself to being childlike which could have something to do with when it was kind of overflow for the local pediatric hospital as well so it's one of those things that we may never know and like you were saying that it does bring into play the whole idea that it could be some sort of thought form i mean this place is investigated on the regular they do do ghost tours a lot you do have a lot of investigators going in there you know are they kind of bringing Zeke to life a little bit. Who knows? Well, yeah. Well, you know, too, like you have a false sense of control when you put a name on a thing that bumps in the night. You're like, oh, that's Zeke. You could be totally wrong. But if enough people say it over and over, you think like I've labeled it. Therefore, you know, it's not so scary. Uh, We do it all the time. I've called it like most famous phenomena, right? Like, Mm -hmm. you know, you're at an old bed and breakfast in Virginia that says George Washington slept here and there's like a knock on the wall and it's the ghost of George Washington, right? Who slept there one night, (laughs) you know? There are these kind of figures that have stayed everywhere apparently or or have served time in every prison. And yeah, George Washington, Al Capone, high on that list, Abraham Lincoln. So we've met them all. I have actually have another sort of theory on it. And maybe maybe Washington is haunting all those places or Capone or anybody else, because when you go into a location and you sort of tune into that story in, in a weird way, you kind of summon it. You've done group investigations where we bring people in to have these experiences. And how many times has someone said like, you know, you're at the Stanley Hotel in, in Colorado and someone's like, oh my gosh, my, my grandmother's coming through. And you're like, wow, did she work here? Did she used to live here or, or visit it a lot? No, she's never been to Colorado, right? And you go, oh, and I'm not saying they're, they're wrong. I'm just saying that 
they're in a mindset that they're in a haunted place. It's dark. It's late at night. And now they're open to things that are probably around us all the time. We just don't think about them when we're in the grocery store, you know, getting chips and Falstaff beer. I think this goes for a lot of haunted locations, even not necessarily people that you might know, but just enough people investigating. I mean, there is this kind of idea that any nearby spirits or, or anyone that you might kind of connect to might kind of head your way, you know? And so that could be the case for the Lemp Mansion as well. I mean, when people think about haunted places in Missouri, the Lemp Mansion is kind of like the top on the list, I would say. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I have these tops trading cards from years ago. They only made a dozen of them, but they were haunted places. And the Lemp was one of them. It's one of those places that, and you know, as investigators, it's it's been on every show, let's be honest, all of them, right, have, have been at Lemp at some point, and it just makes it more famous. And for those of people that like to check it out for themselves, it sort of calls to you in a way. Meanwhile, you're also stepping in the footprints of hundreds, if not thousands of other investigators over the years uh, who have left their own, you know, residual stuff behind as well. Yeah, well, I mean, I do love that they embrace that past. Like when you go to their website, it's, you know, the hauntings are front and center. They are a brewery. There's a Lemp brewery there now. And they're kind of embracing all of it, which and, and not much has changed either. When you go in there, it is kind of a, a step back in time. Like obviously it had some other incarnations at, since the family left it. But I mean, you walk in and it looks like you would imagine it looked when that family lived there. And and that's a big part of it, isn't it? Right. I mean, if it was completely renovated with like neon lights and whatever, it takes you out of the moment. But when you when you see that, like you're there. I've said that like about the Queen Mary. You walk onto that ship and you're like, wow, it feels like it could be like 1925 or 1930, and I'm wearing a tuxedo or something. It's that context is such an important part of this, and I think it helps you tune in. And if you're all open to the notion of of history being alive and and ghosts and spirits and so on. A place like that, you know, no wonder it's such a hotbed. Absolutely. Lots of hauntings there, lots of experiences. I need to get back. I feel like every time I go to Missouri, I'm kind of like in the Kansas City area, but I need to like mosey on over to St. Louis apparently and go see some ghosts and have a, a beer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And and what I love, you know, too, it, it and it's not lost, you know, when you're when you're there, especially if you're from out of state. Missouri is of course the show me state. And that's all we want to see, isn't it? Just show me the ghosts. Just show me the ghosts. Show me the ghosts. <laughs> show There's me a lot the of ghosts. them there. There's a lot of them there. I and think we're it. good. <laughs> that's it. Now, okay. Okay, so first of all, your podcast, which I have listened to quite a few episodes of New England Legends, correct? Thanks. Yeah, well, I, we don't ask much of you. They're only like 15 minutes long. Well, I love it because like I have become a New Englander in the last 10 or 12 years, which is so strange. When, when we met, I was still living in California. And so I love that it showcases local haunts, but I mean, it really resonates with anyone. Like even when I lived in California, I would have listened to this podcast. Well, thank you. Yeah, no, it's been so much fun. And what's cool is like our audience, I mean, the, the stories are really crowdsourced now. And my favorite stories are the totally obscure ones that I've never heard of, you know, where someone's like, hey, I grew up in this little town in Maine and we had this like cursed grave or there's this bottomless well or that 
kids say is haunted. You know, just these stories that sound familiar no matter where you live, because, you know, these these things travel, but we have our own local versions of them. And it's a connection to incredible history, whether it's witches and witch trials or history that left a, a mark or a scar or a stain, if you will. And that's, mm-hmm. you know, the haunting that's still around today. I just, I absolutely adore it. And we get to cover all kinds of weird stuff, not just ghosts, but aliens and Bigfoot and cryptids and every weird thing in between. No, I love it because I'm always discovering new stories on it. I, you guys have done just a really great job with it. I super enjoy it for real. Is there anything else you want people to know about what you're working? You're always working on so much. You're you're like as busy as I am. You have so many irons in the fire. No, I've, I've been doing a lot of shock docs for Discovery Plus. I've done uh, seven of them now. So um, that's uh, that's been sort of fun. I'm actually on camera for those. So um, I'm not just behind the scenes and and that's been good. I'm working on a new book just in time for Christmas next year. And uh, it's, it's gonna, it's gonna save Christmas. That's my objective. I can't wait. Well, you have been awesome as always. I super appreciate you taking the time and someday maybe we'll be at the Lump Mansion together looking for ghosts and having a beer or two. Maybe they have Chardonnay for me, but I will have a beer when, when necessary. All right. Thank you, Jeff. I appreciate you. Thanks, Amy. Clearly, stories of the Lemps still fascinate as much today as they did when they were alive. While I do believe the mansion to very much be haunted, part of me hopes it's not by that family. With all those demons haunting them in life, I so hope they have moved on and aren't haunting us in death. So, next time you stop into Lemp Mansion and pop open a beer, think about all the history and turmoil that fueled the beverage you are about to sip. I'm Amy Bruni. And this was Haunted Road. Haunted Road is a production of iHeartRadio and Grim and Mild from Aaron Menke. Haunted Road is hosted and written by me, Amy Bruni. Additional research by Taylor Hagerdorn. The show is edited and produced by Rima El-Kayali and supervising producer Josh Thane, and executive producers Aaron Mankey, Alex Williams, and Matt Frederick. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. <laughs>